Hi, I'm Bree, one of the co-founders of Frank Body. Hi, I'm Jess, one of the co-founders of Frank Body. Welcome to Selfish, a podcast that is all about putting yourself first and redefining the word selfish. Over this content series, we're exploring a variety of topics with some amazing faces that you'll know, from self-awareness with Brooke Lurton to self-discovery with Jackie Gillies. We're also talking about self-pleasure with Chantelle Otten and self-wealth with the incredible Victoria Devine. Podcast episodes for Selfish drop weekly on Tuesdays alongside a whole bunch of amazing tools, tips and tricks from our team that you can find across the Frank Body social channels. Find us wherever you listen to your podcasts and let's get selfish together. Hello, Brie. Hello, I'm feeling a bit hot after that conversation. <laughs> it was. I got misty. We've just spent the last hour, hour and a half talking with the wonderful Chantelle Otten. For those of you who don't know, Chantelle is a sexologist and psychologist and just all-round fantastic person. She was so wonderful to talk with about the idea of self-pleasure and our conversation went on a really interesting tangent away from just stereotypical ideas of what self-pleasure is into this whole concept of self-identity mm. um, and how we show up in the different relationships in our lives which I loved. What I loved about talking to Chantelle was how vulnerable and open she is not just about her work as a sexologist but also about her personal life. We talked about how as a therapist she tries to find these boundaries between when she switches off from work and how much she gives to others and then we even talked about her ADHD diagnosis which I thought was so interesting because as we, we know it's one of those things that in women is often misdiagnosed or not diagnosed and these women have ADHD for years and they think they there's something not quite right but they don't get these diagnoses until later in life mm-hmm. so I found that really interesting to unpack I think so too we have been about having open transparent and frank conversations since day one the, the last 10 years of frank body were built on that and that's exactly what happens in today's episode with Chantelle so enjoy this is Selfish, and today we're talking to Chantelle. Thanks so much for being here. I'm happy to be here. I'm Yeah, I'm grateful to be talking about this today with both of you. Oh, oh we're excited. <laughs> I think um, to get started, we want to start with a bit of foreplay and just get a little bit of background on you mm. and how you got into the whole world of sexology. Um, yeah, that's a good question. I reflect on it a lot because you know how you, you think initially I got in because of this and then you're like, oh, maybe subconsciously it was this. Mm-hmm. I mean, I am a therapist, so I think a lot. But um, I did psychology when I left school. I've always wanted to help people. I've been a, you know, like a caring position my whole life because my sister has a disability and then I was a carer for my grandma and it just feels super natural for me. Um, But I knew I didn't want to be a generalized psychologist because I am also um, like a little bit impatient sometimes, a bit (laughs) goal oriented. And I think because my family is so open when we talk about sex, like we still are quite traditional, but my parents would always say sex is so important for a relationship and it's so important for you and your sense of self. Um, and I just really liked it a lot. <laughs> so I thought I'm going to like explore and see who's talking about this in Melbourne. And I found a few people, but there was definitely like a bit of an age bracket. And so as well, from like a, a business perspective, I thought this is a gap in the market here. Um, I know I'll be able to get a job. 
everyone has sex or everyone who doesn't have sex will want to come speak to someone <laughs> like myself um, if, you know, that's what they're looking for. And, and so I went on and studied my science and medicine degree. I lived in Holland studying it. And, yeah, I've just had a lot of fun on the journey. So good. Yeah. What we really want to talk to you about today is self-pleasure. Mm-hmm. And we're reflecting on this and that our version of what self-pleasure is is probably quite binary. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted to get your opinion first and foremost on, on what self-pleasure means to you or how would you define it? Well, I think like self-pleasure, people automatically think of masturbation. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe us as like femmes, we think about toys as well. Um, a lot of people think shame or secrecy. Um, and then when they think of penis owners, they go, okay, like jacking off, wanking, <laughs> like, you know, they've got different modalities yeah. Yeah. or words um, attached to self-pleasure. But I really think... Um, we can expand the word and think about, well, what brings us joy? What makes us feel connected to our body? You know, that might be even like, you know, when you wake up and if, any, if anyone here drinks coffee and you're like, oh, my God, I'm so excited for my coffee. Oh, yeah, that's me. Yeah. yeah, and it's like sinking in. That's like pure self-pleasure mm-hmm. from my perspective. Or it might be getting out and smelling Um, you know nature on a beautiful day Mm. or when you've been cooped up inside the office so I think self-pleasure is whatever you allow yourself to um, explore and give space to that's going to bring you joy and really fill your cup. Are there particular moments in your day that aren't linked in in any way to sexual activity that you would define as really pleasurable or those like routines that you have? Um, I don't have any routines. <laughs> I'm like chaotic. Um, my routine would be ordering an Uber Eats coffee every morning. <laughs> right. So when that arrives at my door, and usually it's because I've slept through an alarm or I'm like running a little bit late because I have problems with my sleep. So it just always like whacks me out. I, the other day I had to wake up for my own therapy appointment and I had, I'm very lucky I've got a great assistant and she, um, she said, calling me. I was like, why is she calling me so early? Like, I know what time I'm meant to wake up. I put my alarms on and she's like, hey, you've got like therapy in five minutes. You haven't answered my text because she reminds me that I've got it on. And I had looked at my alarms and I had put them on for 7 p.m., 7.30 oh, no. p.m. <laughs> so that's just how my brain works. <laughs> yeah. um, so I'll order a coffee usually when I'm running also quite late. And then I can see them walking to my door because my office is at the front of the house. And I go, oh, yay. Mm-hmm. Extra chocolate, cappuccino, I'm happy. That's self-pleasure for me. Or snuggling my dog in bed or kissing Mm. my partner. Like that stuff is all pleasurable for me. I know that you have lived between here and Holland. Would you describe there being a difference in terms of the culture and attitude towards sex in different countries? In different countries, for sure. I think that um, here we're such a multicultural society and I think with that comes... Um, you know so many different backgrounds and different religions and um, different teachings around sex education and you know we've had such a like a push for adequate sex education consent education in the past two years um, uh, thanks to some incredible people Uh, and I think that you know we're pretty late to the game Um, however I would say we're pretty liberated because we've also had such a Um, lacking experience in the past whereas I definitely know like in Holland you learn about certain things like consent etc from quite a young age Mm -hmm. so uh, like 
uh, in primary school, like age four, you learn, can I ask for a hug or like mm -hmm. yes and no and, you know, maybe and reading other people's body language doesn't necessarily all go smoothly. Probably not. But you do learn those things a lot earlier um, and there's more emphasis on that. Uh, I also think, you know, we learn a lot more overseas around the LGBTQIA plus community mm -hmm. and different types mm -hmm. of family dynamics and having communities raise you. So I definitely saw a difference. However, you know, when I've gone to Holland lately, I felt like things have maybe... Um, regressed a tiny bit. I don't know if it's the politics over there. I do know that there's some interesting things going on at the moment. I think we have a very different culture around dating here. Um, and I guess equality in Australia is very different from my perspective. I do notice also like on TikTok right now that we're seeing a lot of like Aussie femmes going, hang on, you know, I worked hard and I'm looking for equality, but then they're also going, but then because I've started being so hyper independent actually like if they're you know cis hetero they're like the, these guys are actually not showing up to the table in terms of dating or like being able to show you a good time and you know just because i've stepped back doesn't mean that you also get to do less yeah, yeah. you know have you noticed a little bit more conversation around like masculinity femininity all of that kind of stuff mm -hmm. definitely I feel mm. like I've had girlfriends saying that men almost seem afraid to make the plans yes because women have become a lot more confident and they'll put forward a time and a date to be like I want to meet here at this time mm -hmm. but then when they put that back on their male partners mm. they're finding they're not getting the same level of attention to detail mm. or commitment mm. yeah I think it's so multifaceted I also think that for a lot of men that I've been talking to, they've been like, I don't, like, I'm scared to actually, like, ask someone out. Yeah. Because I don't want to be seen as, like, a pervert or, like, creepy or, like, too forward. So there's definitely, like, this just weird kind of, sh like, I think it's just, like, a flow or, like, kind of chaos going on out there at mm. the moment. And I'm trying to figure it out. But, yeah, it is it is very interesting. So I think we do have a lot of differences over here in regards to sex, relationships, commitment, all of that kind of stuff. Do you think that redefinition of masculinity and femininity is quite specific to heterosexual couples mm. or are you noticing amongst your community or your clients that anyone in any type of same-sex or non-binary relationship might be also noticing a shift in dynamics? Mm, there's different... Um, I guess experiences I think when you're in the LGBTQIA plus community because you'll be like oh yeah like I'll hear it a lot like oh yeah this is like a typical lesbian relationship mm -hmm. or like oh you know I what I am seeing though from a, like across the board is more open relationships mm -hmm. more conversation mm -hmm. around getting your needs met um, when you are and that can be like monogamy with a bit of flexibility or it can be like the total opposite spectrum of that mm. um so i am noticing a real positive dialogue around like you know creating a relationship that works for you and your partner or mm. partners yeah breaking down the yeah white picket fence yeah cliches that have plagued us all yeah from our parents and etc yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What do you think is really leading to that shift in conversation? Are there key contributors in your opinion? I think that um, we've had some prominent figures in the media talk about different styles of relationships, which is important. I think the rise of sex experts talking about, you know, sex and then all the different dynamics that come with that and then reducing 
shame and stigma and judgment around these topics has been really pivotal um, in, I guess, exploring this. I mean, non-monogamy is not new. It's very, Mm. you know, like it's ancient, to be honest. But because there are more resources out there and more people are sharing their stories, and I think that allows for people to go, okay, like maybe this could be for me Mm. as well. And it's not as scary as I thought it was. It's better than cheating. You know, lots yeah, of people experience 100%. cheating. That's very, very normal as well. And I'm not judgmental as with with uh, infidelity either. But I think people are going, okay, well, I do have some options here. Um, yeah, it's not just A or B. Yeah. Or if infidelity has happened, they can go, okay, well, let's reassess here. What do, what do we need? Because obviously our needs aren't being met. Yeah, mm. you're right. Like maybe not such a black and white response to infidelity mm-hmm. as, as there might have mm. been you know, 10 or even 30 years ago. If you go back far enough, it was just brush it under the yeah. carpet and don't say anything about it. And then it or was kick him to the curb. Kick him to the curb. To the curb. And yeah. now it might be like, let's unpack why this has actually happened. Yeah. Do you think in general we're becoming a bit more of an open-minded and sexually liberated society? I think when it comes to infidelity, Esther Perel's work has influenced that a lot. Yeah. Um, love that. We love she's that. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I think she's on our list of people one day. Yeah. We have to meet. Oh, yeah, we heard her go. speak years ago on a boat and then just went, became obsessed yeah, with yeah, everything, yeah. like her book, Mating in Captivity. Yeah. I loved it. Wrote it back to co- front to cover. It's yeah. wonderful. I think yeah. we both bought our husbands the Where Should We Begin yes. cards. Oh, <laughs> it's yeah. like, Hello, let's have a chat. Hey, how, how are you feeling? How are you doing? <laughs> I need to buy them, actually. Like, they really just good. reminded yeah. me because I think they only came out this year. So, yeah, interesting. No, I think, I think like people like that are a sparking conversation. And then we have like, I mean, the rise of podcasts mm-hmm. and like, you know, also like just social media accounts. I think podcasting has changed a lot around this um, conversation for sure. Yeah, like the shame is removed, yeah. which is nice. Like I was going to say, like you've touched on shame a couple of times. Why do you think there's still shame linked to self-pleasure or to pleasure in general? Oh, I don't think people are talking about like self-pleasure that much, you know. Like we do see sex toy sales like rising and we see people talking about, you know, how they love this toy, but they don't actually talk about their self-pleasure experience yeah. that often, you know. Um, and I definitely like, I'm obviously in a very sex positive bubble. People around me feel very comfortable, but I know a lot of my like really close friends who have never bought a sex toy and they're just like, we don't know where to start, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and, you know, I, I have some people that I, my job first and foremost is to be very very curious when people come to me um, but also like remember that I don't know anything when someone's talking to me so I I look at my friends and I I never go like I wonder which one is having the best time because I know that all of them will have something that they want to work on at Mm. some point but sometimes I get surprised when I have friends that I think are like quite liberated on many many fronts and then they go hey like sex toys and I'm like yeah of course like take this so and that's so surprising to me because they're able to talk about politics they're able to talk about partying music you know lifestyle they've you know got different presentations they're very liberated but then they have never like there's obviously some stuff there that has blocked them from maybe exploring that avenue or it hasn't been accessible to them in the past so I think with self-pleasure, if we take like toys away from it, I also think that we don't talk about pleasure for ourselves in general because we're so in this rat race. Like 
Mm. I said to someone the other day, I just feel like I'm on a hamster wheel. Mm. Like every day I get up and I just jump in and I'm running until like 11 p.m. And then my brain's still running until, you know, whenever I can conk out, (laughs) trying to reset for a few hours. But that's just the way that our lives are at the moment. A lot of companies are hustling after COVID. A lot of people do have no idea that they're allowed to pause and they don't have to work like themselves into the ground Mm -hmm. to be unhappy, unhealthy, you know, disconnected Mm -hmm. from the people that they love. And so if we talk about people feeling disconnected from self-pleasure, a lot of people feel disconnected from themselves, period, Mm -hmm. right now. And I think that's something that definitely needs to be broken down. Yeah, I think something you've spoken about before that really resonated with me Mm -hmm. is not so much focusing on the end destination and having a release or an orgasm, Mm -hmm. but just really slowing down with pleasure and it being more about what feels good and is this just a moment of connection? You don't Mm -hmm. have to necessarily get to an outcome. Yeah, of course. Enjoying the journey is like the most important part. And I mean, what I just said ties into that. A lot of us aren't enjoying the journey right now in Mm -hmm. our lives, but then... When it comes to self-pleasure, people go, okay, like I have time to have an orgasm right now. Or like, I like, oh, maybe if I like masturbated, I'll feel horny and then I'll be able to partake in like mm-hmm. partnered activities. And then they kind of go into it and they're like, oh, I might have like five, 10 minutes. Like, and then they just put their vibrator on the clip yeah. and go for it. Or they're like, <laughs> wang. And then they get it out of the way and they're, they're missing out on the arousal part of it. So yeah. the way that their body, their mind is reacting to stimulus, you know, really noticing what's going on in their body when they are feeling stimulated. Um, what's the sensory experience of what they're going through as well? What's their motivation for this? Um, and I, I do think that there are many ways for us to slow down, um, but also for us to be connected to our sexual self-esteem as well. And so that's something that I talk about a lot in my clinic. Um, And it's really interesting. I made a sexual self-esteem course years ago now. And it's so funny because I never promote it. I always forget. It's like my clinic. I always forget to promote it on my Instagram. But um, people consistently are buying it on a daily basis. Like they just find it in my links. And so many people want to know how to be connected to them to their sexual selves yeah can you explain a little bit more about what that is yeah so we have like we have self-esteem in general right Mm -hmm. so we're like okay like we got our nails done or our hair looks good you know we've had enough sleep our self-esteem is good because we're feeling good about that um or our self-esteem might be suffering because we're run down or we, we don't like the way that we look or feel um you know maybe we've been partying too hard drinking too much etc and that might make us feel a little bit ick sexual self-esteem is like a similar thing we go how do we feel about our sexual self like the version of ourselves that's coming into intimate experiences partnered experiences because really you can be whoever you want in the bedroom right like you just have to like switch it up some people like this wild side can come out for so many different people or this really timid side for someone who's super Mm -hmm. confident um and yeah i think sexual self is really about how you are showing up within your erotic experiences, how connected you are to uh, sexual stimuli. Um, And that might mean, you know, do we ever watch anything that makes us feel erotic or horny, you know, or inspired? Um, Do we listen to anything? Um, Are we conscious of maybe exploring our body or dressing in a way that makes us feel amazing do we even know how to do that Mm -hmm. do we notice when we're putting like 
frank body lotion on our skin you know or when we're scrubbing ourselves like what is the feeling there or are we just kind of like like let's get it over and done with like you know get out of the way yeah I feel like that's a lot of for a lot of us our general approach to life and Mm. I think especially being Mm. a woman in this era we're like one of the first generations to be doing it all Mm -hmm. which sounds really fantastic but I think it just means like (laughs) burnout cortisol overload my god yeah and no libido for a lot of people that I know and how can people take a step back and not sacrifice the things that they're wanting to achieve but also try and find some kind of equilibrium that means they have any kind of Hmm. desire for sexual activity it's like you have to make a really conscious effort yeah um and you have to figure out what that actually means for you you can't just go into it blind it's like like going into i don't know like a pharmacy and buying every vitamin on the shelf because you're like vitamins are healthy like Mm. i should just be doing this you actually need to take a tailored approach we know that if we take vitamins that we don't need because we you know have enough of that in our bloodstream it's just going to come out anyway so it's a waste of money it's kind of like with our erotic selves where is the barrier what if you think about like your desire for example it's like driving a car there will be some things that put the accelerators on so it might be like i've had a day off or i've got a fake tan or i've had eight hours sleep or i'm i have a child free home you know for a day or two that might bring some acceleration to your desire the car goes forward and then you go okay i've got a deadline oh my god i'm about to get my period uh you know I thought I was going to have half a day off, but no, some dramas happened at work and now I'm like super stressed. So these are break, break, breaks. I feel like people have so many breaks on more so than they have their accelerators on. So what I do with people is really think about what can we do to take your foot off the brake here, here, here. So we try and eliminate a few of them so that we can have more accelerators there. And then, I, I mean, I look at sexuality as a whole. So my job is to be a detective into people's sex lives. I have to look at like, the biological aspects, what's happening in their body, their medications, etc. The psychological, are there any underlying um, phenomenon there? You know, is there medication as well because of that? Um, are they good, bad, or do we need to switch them up a little bit? And then we look at like sociocultural, what's happening in your community, your environment, your religion, your family life, etc. Um, and then interpersonal, your relationships with someone else, mm-hmm. yourself, um, and maybe like friends, family, etc. How you know, long- on average would you typically be working with someone depends very yeah individual depends like um i'm very good at my job some people i can like go quickly like a few sessions some people will come in for one thing and then we figure out actually it's like nothing to do with what why they're there um and some people I'll see for years because they like coming to me. Maybe we don't even talk about sex half the time. Um, I am the kind of therapist because, I mean, I run a clinic. I have a big team there that does um, see a lot of people. And then I tend to now work with like different groups. So I, I work um, pro bono on one mm. uh, part of the spectrum. That's the main bulk of my work. And then the other end is working with like quite successful um, people um, that are, you know, going through some challenges that are a little bit more intricate. Mm. Um, and so I really like the the balance of that. But I would say 
that my patients tend to be a little bit more long-term because they're a bit more complex. Yeah, yeah but so for some people quickly as well. I like what you were saying before about the sex self-esteem mm-hmm. and this idea that it is a skill that you can build. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes we think that sex and sexuality is something you should just know how to do mm-hmm. and you should just know how to have an orgasm because it's human nature. Yeah. But I think for a lot of people, it's not as easy as just rubbing your clit or no. jumping up and down. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you think it is a skill that can be taught? Yeah. Well, I mean, the course says so. I mean, a lady came up to me actually on the weekend. She's like, hi, you don't know me. I did your course three years ago and my partner thinks I took a Viagra, like a female Viagra. And she's like, he, he has no idea who this version of me. And I was like, whoa, okay, because it's quite challenging, the course. But um, I do think that it is something that you can work on and – I think actually like from the start of your sexual life, you have to continuously be working on your sexuality, your understanding, um, your awareness around your body, your anatomy, your partner. And I think you have to just look at sex and your own sex life from a place of curiosity and don't think you know it all Mm -hmm. because it will change and your partner's preferences will change as well. But I think the problem is in a lot of long-term relationships, it's like the last thing that we talk about. Because we're like, oh, we kind of know how to do it. Like we know what that recipe is. It's going to make it work, right? So you just keep repeating the same recipe and then it can get a little bit boring. It's like eating spaghetti bolognese every Every time you go out. Yeah. Do women still fake orgasms? Yes. Why do you think that's – to me that blows my mind that Mm -hmm. in this day and age we're Mm -hmm. still doing that. Why do you think that is? Is it just the ingrained societal belief? It depends what you're doing it for. Like for Mm. some people – um, maybe they could work on trying to achieve pleasure because orgasm is not the goal. But if they want to explore whether they can orgasm, great. Maybe they can orgasm through self-pleasure but not in partnered scenarios and then you have to unpack that as a therapist. Mm-hmm. And then some people, I mean, um, faking an orgasm can be like an act of self-care or liberation where you're just like, hang on, I'm actually like not enjoying that like this experience that much so this is how I can finish it mm. you know people fake orgasms for so many different reasons but we've had some very loud voices in the past we like ah, faking orgasms the worst thing in the world <laughs> and I'm like well actually like for some people it's it's going to get them out of a scenario that they don't mm. particularly enjoy but then I hope that maybe they walk away and go what can I do differently here or what didn't I enjoy or okay I've walked away I'm not going to go back to that that kind of thing so different different reasons yeah what are some practical steps someone can take to reevaluate their own sexual experience a bit more like what Mm. you touched on before like it's never just this thing that we wake up with we don't have the knowledge innately we have to continuously grow and learn like we do in every other aspect of our lives what would you say is one thing Mm. someone could do today whether it's regarding the self or partnered activity Mm. I think just like check uh, am I open to change like am I open to exploring this first Mm -hmm. and foremost because like you should never feel like you should do something right if you feel like that you have to go, why do I feel like that? If you're happy and content, like if you're having a sex life that involves no sex at all and you're just like listening to erotic audio and that's your jam and that brings you pleasure, then go for it. Yep. You don't have to change if you don't want to. I don't think anyone needs to have sex if they don't want to. But if you want to and you want to have more pleasure and you want to have some excitement or want to desire it more, um, then I think 
open yourself up to being more curious about how you can do that. Listen to podcasts like this. You know, there's some great online courses. OMG Yes is a great website for those who struggle with orgasm Mm. um, or want to have, you know, a few different activities in partnered play as well. Um, And then there's websites like beeducated.com com i think and uh that has a lot of amazing online courses as well so there's plenty of places to learn if reading's not your thing um or you can just look at like sex experts like myself and just look at their content and go you know do i like this person's um, narrative here do i like their vibe okay can i lean into their content a little bit and that will hopefully bring a little bit of inspiration i always like people to just start watching or listening to um i guess media that makes them feel a little bit more horny and like a little mm. yeah <laughs> yeah <on laughs> a little that. excited <laughs> um i'm talking the other day about pornography mm-hmm. and about how it's evolved and i have two sons and i'm slightly terrified about the free pornography and how mm-hmm. it depicts females mm-hmm. and what pleasure is in general do you have any tips on how to find the right kind of pornography for you yeah i mean it's challenging, right? There are actually like quite a few porn websites that have sex education mm. sections on them as well, right? Um, like I even think Pornhub has like like an education hub as part of it. I haven't looked at it. <laughs> but I was at when I was at a conference at the start of the year that we're talking about, do we like there was actually this huge debate in the sexology world, you know, do we use pornography as education? Because mm. right now it's for entertainment. It's not meant to be for education. However, a lot of us learned about sex from pornography, myself included. Yep. So um, there are great websites like Get Cheeks. They have porn on there that is consensual, it's ethical, um, but then they also have education pieces as well and tutorials on there. I think that um, having the conversation with your kids before they have access to free porn is probably the best way to go mm. and just be like, hey, just wanted to, you know, I think we should talk about porn. Have you heard of it before? Mm. You know, there's, there's some great ways um, – some great websites that talk about how to have those conversations with your kids as well. Erica Lust has some good um, resources on that. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> I know. Like, I know. It's I'm not my area of expertise, but I definitely like have to look into it soon because like a lot of my friends are having kids too and asking the same question. I think it's really interesting that the spaces that we have where we should be having these conversations, at least mm. for me, like in the home or in school, they didn't really take place. It was very top yeah. line. Went to a Catholic school. Mm. So the sex education I got in school was rather limited and mm. through the mm. lens of Catholicism. Mm. I Do you think that that lack of conversation in an early age is what contributes to the potential relationship we have with our sexuality down the track? Yeah, 100%. And I think, like, I mean... Whilst I would have loved for better sex education myself as well, I also went to a very strict Catholic school. Um, I just kind of think, like, if you look back now, look at your teachers and you go, oh, my God, some of them were just out of uni. Like, (laughs) they were, like, you know, so young. They're not equipped to have those conversations. (laughs) No, like, we were so small, like, oh, blah, blah, blah. But, like, those teachers were so young. And they they weren't like sex education teachers. Yeah. It just wasn't available back then. Yeah. Um, even now, like 
people that we think should be able to talk about sex, like medical experts, psychologists, they're not trained in sex education. They're trained in medicine. They usually have like a two-hour lecture on sexuality in those medical yeah. degrees. So um, I really like come uh, and look at, um, I guess, professionals with a very empathetic view um, and just go, you know what, they were probably just trying their best yeah. back then. I didn't get any sex education at all. Um, I think we were we did a project on STIs though, um, and I loved it. I did like a sealed section on gonorrhea, so I like had all these like photos of gonorrhea in there. <laughs> but I really just think we we didn't have it, and that's why um, you know we have a lot of great resources now. That's why I wrote my book. Actually, it was sex ed. It's sex ed for adults, mm-hmm. so people like us who didn't get sex education, so we could go. Okay, we feel a little bit more confident talking to our kids about it. Yeah, the people mm. we love about it. And now a quick ad. Brie, something very exciting is happening this week. Your baby, the Everyday Range, is launching into Coles stores nationally and I could not be more excited. For those who don't know about the Everyday Range, it's 12 products that are all clean, full of actives and really focused on personal care, products that you use every single day. What's going into Coles is our four incredible body washes. My favourite is the Clearing Body Wash, which is full of salicylic acid. And as I said before, beautiful clean ingredients that are going to give you the cleanest skin of your life. We have a very special bonus offer going into Coles, which is this Kick Swing Tag. And that gives you a full month of free access to the Kick Wellness app. So get into Coles and pop one of those body washes into your basket. Now back to the podcast. Are you seeing a shift generationally between your clients that might be, you know, over 35 and those coming through that are a bit younger and accessing more information on social? Not just yet. No? Not just yet. Because they aren't coming to you yet because they're probably too young or is it just that what is a seismic generational shift hasn't taken place yet? I'm seeing a lot more referrals for people um, uh, from medical experts, but I would say like, and I would say most of the people who come through my clinic are self-referred, so they're seeking out sexologists. Um, But I think that's mainly because of the exposure that I have probably and the amount of information that I put out there for people to feel comfortable to be able to see someone like myself. I wouldn't say that, like, is it coming from parents? Not so much just yet. They're all curious, but they they aren't necessarily seeking the resources just Mm -hmm. yet. So you are working on something behind the scenes that's targeted towards those of us experiencing or not experiencing our sexuality as part of our um, antenatal experience. Mm -hmm. I think Brie and I can probably both relate to this, not to put words in your mouth, babe. But oh my God, no. My got, baby did kill my, my sex baby. life. <laughs> <laughs> the irony of children killing your mm. sex life. I think it's a really interesting topic to unpack because I think unless you have a group of friends mm. that are quite open-minded, you can feel really isolated. And I feel very lucky that I have close girlfriends that I can talk about this with. But you go through this act of having sex a lot of the time mm. to procreate and have a child. Mm. And it becomes very scientific. There's no romance involved at all because it's all about timing. And then your hormones, you know, you have this surge in hormones and this complete depletion of hormones and you feel like crap. Mm -hmm. Long story short, you don't want to have sex for a long time. Mm -hmm. In your experience, what are practical steps pre and postnatal that you can take to try and rebuild your libido? 
I think like don't rush it first and foremost um, because some people like I get those desperate emails like, hey, I'm six weeks postpartum. Can I have sex now? My partner really wants it. Da, 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 da. And like if you're feeling that amount of pressure, it's not going to be a healthy experience mm-hmm. from my perspective. I think there will generally be one person in a relationship that is focused on like the family needs and all the care that goes there. And there will be one person that needs to bring the fun. And I think you have to have a chat as a couple and go, you're in charge of bringing the fun. And that's not just like about sex. That's like, we should go out on a date night Mm -hmm. or we should go away for a weekend or we should go out with our friends or we should prioritize time together. Or you should go like, go out with the girls. Like, Whatever it is that makes you feel like your individual self and not just like mom and dad or, you know, caregiver, Mm -hmm. I think that's super, super important Um, because we like forget who we are when we change roles sometimes. Um, And I think those role changes are so massive. I think hormonally, like go with ease. Um, I think if you are struggling with things like postnatal depression um, or, you know, you're struggling with your energy levels or sleep, then definitely consult with some healthcare practitioners. I mean, make sure that your blood tests are all okay, your hormones are are going well, but also um, think about seeing like a naturopath, for example, to make sure that your body is kind Mm -hmm. of regulated or getting acupuncture is also really good for that. Sleep is like the number one thing from my perspective. However, it's extremely difficult when you have a child to get a good amount of sleep. So just do what you can. And then I think break sex away from this penetrative orgasm focus and go, what is sex to me right now? Maybe it's like a head scratchy. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's like a foot massage Mm -hmm. right now. What can I do rather than what can't I do? Um, And I think that can be really anything like I think start kissing your partner again, have like at least a 60, like 60 second kiss yep. every day. So research, um, Gottman's got some really great work on this. Um, and I think also make sure that you're getting some endorphins back in your body that are not just from touching your child mm. because you get all of that like dopamine and oxytocin from them, but you kind of get a little bit touched out as well mm-hmm. at some point. So um, really just try and explore, okay, well, like what's going to make me feel good? Um, how do, how does my skin feel? How do I feel within my body? And just try and get some body awareness come back first. Start masturbating. Mm-hmm. If you were masturbating beforehand, start masturbating again because the more you have um, pleasure, the more you orgasm, the more you want it as well. And then if you feel comfortable doing that, then show your partner. Just say, actually, can we like, mas- like should we? touch ourselves like together or maybe we can make out for a bit and Mm. I'm going to hold my vibrator but I'd like you to hold my hand at the same time just pleasure yourself while they're part of that experience for you um and and vice versa you know like if you're too exhausted to give a blowjob just like (laughs) say you know I want to be part of this like maybe we can hold like do a hand job together that kind of thing like build it up Mm. get yourself outside of the bedroom sometimes changing Mm -hmm. up location is really good start showering together naked um get them in charge of like putting the, the like lotions and potions on your skin and just ease into it um and then I think with time you have to start going okay like I know I have nothing in the tank right now but I think we should just give this a crack and see how we can get back to our sexual selves I like mm. that concept I think what I would foresee is the dynamic for a lot of people in heterosexual relationships is that 
the woman has an idea of easing back into it. Mm. But (laughs) once you start with men, they don't necessarily know where the end is. Mm. How do you think, whether it's a heterosexual relationship or not, you can clarify those boundaries before Mm. you begin so you don't feel then like you're put in this position that you never wanted to get into in the first place Mm, great question i mean start with the boundaries Mm -hmm. what are your boundaries you have to figure that out first and then you or you can say to them i want to start talking about being intimate again but i'm really scared like i'm really nervous i don't feel that great i'm fucking tired and i'm not sure where to go with this um you know what do you think what are your motivations here how do you feel about easing into this and making it a bit more of a slow journey these are my boundaries actually like if I start kissing you I don't want you to then like proceed to touch me in a way that's going to make me feel under pressure I just want to isolate the experience to just kissing and I want to be able to lead the way here and then if you need help just do one or two sessions with a sexologist if that's within your reach or explore online I think um I think Esther Perel has a really good like sex and parenting course Mm -hmm. and then my antenatal course when it's out will talk about all of that like some really practical good steps and then they have I mean I've written so many conversation starters in these modules around what you can say word by word to your partner worksheets etc so you can just feel like I'm taking over the progress rather than you having to lead the progress. I love that. Yeah. I think about me, what I found was yeah, having those conversations. Mm. And as you said, like being on completely different levels. I remember my husband, bless him, mm. when I was really pregnant, he bought me a pearl G-string and pearl bra. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you expect me to wear these <laughs> when I'm seven months pregnant? <laughs> and he was, and we had this really beautiful conversation where he was, I was like, I did not feel like a sexual and yeah. did not feel attractive. I didn't feel like my body was my own. Yeah. And he was like, to me, you're still my wife and you're still really hot and mm. really sexy. And I was like, it was an interesting conversation to have where I'm like, explain to him how I feel in my body. That's really cute. <laughs> right? Imagine me seven months pregnant wearing a pearl jeans string and pearl bra. Just like. uncomfortable pressure. Oh, oh my God. But he, so region. Well. he, he so meant so well. He so I really like. love that. But I think having those conversations and just understanding that you're on completely different paths yes. can be really hard to articulate. So I yeah. think what you said before, having those prompts is really nice is a really nice step. And I think as well, knowing that it does change and you do mm. come back to that. Exactly. And I think like what you're saying is you were able to be vulnerable with him. Yeah. You were just like, hey, love this, <laughs> but gift. it's not going to happen. <laughs> I love it, but this is how I'm feeling. And obviously the gift was him going, I don't know how to talk about this yeah. with you. So I'm going to do something that might bring you joy and might make you feel good. And then that was like a, okay, actually, like, I don't really feel that good, but I appreciate that you're trying to open up a conversation here Mm -hmm. in your own ways. So I really believe in being very direct and very vulnerable. Um, However, not everyone has healthy um, conversation around these topics Mm -hmm. or in general, people sometimes don't know how to have a healthy argument or like even like constructive feedback. These things can escalate and that's what we don't want to see um, especially when you're already feeling like you're under a lot of pressure so I think that that sounds like it was a really healthy scenario Mm. Um, for people who are nervous to talk about these things is saying it in person going to be the best option for you I would say for a lot of people who might potentially have 
um, challenging dynamics when it comes to their conversation, maybe because of them, maybe because of their partner or the combination of the two of you or more. Um, I would say my preferred way of going about it is writing a letter and saying like, hey, I wanted to talk to you about something. I don't know how to say it in person. So I've worked on this letter. I've been working on it for a couple of weeks now. And I've really articulated my feelings here. And that might mean saying something like, I love you so much and I appreciate our relationship. You're going to be, you know, the best partner during this time for me. Or like, I just don't know how to talk about this topic with you because it makes me feel a certain way. I would love if we could try this and this and this. Um, I would like to know your answers to my questions around how you're feeling, what your expectations are, you know, what what you think would be appropriate. Um, and can you answer paragraph by paragraph to me within the next three weeks or so? Mm-hmm. And then I'll read it and then maybe we can talk about it or we can keep going back and forth in this way until we feel like we can talk about it in person. I really love that. We, like the meeting someone where they are, I think yeah. is really a really big part of that concept and not expecting someone to communicate Mm. in the way that you do. I want to shoot a look to someone off screen about how many conversations we've had around this with partner dynamics. Mm. Um, A lot of men don't know how to think on the spot, right? Like they need time to really digest this. And I think a lot of women, we we speak very like emotionally sometimes and we might be like, and then actually what we're trying to say doesn't even come out a lot of the time. So then we walk away and we're like, fuck, we've created We've created something that we didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm really about mindful communication and that's why I like writing letters. Yeah. Like, I'm a big You love writing letters. I do because I realised that I would spend time thinking about a problem and I would give myself two weeks or something to think about how I wanted to mm. articulate it and then turn up in that moment and then I give them two minutes to craft their response. Mm. It's I realised how unfair it was and I needed to take a step back and give that person mm. space to then craft their response and then we would go back and forward and the dialogue became much healthier mm. and more productive rather mm. than an argument. Mm, it's beautiful. Um, it, t- it takes a while though. I think it takes years it to takes get to years. that place. Yeah. And years. I th- I'm really a big fan of love languages, even though it's a bit cliche. I think there's, I you know, yeah, like there's, a, there's an element of understanding how the person you're with, whether it's a friend mm. or a romantic relationship, likes to communicate and how they show their love. Um, and I try and take that into those conversations or those dynamics as well. That's great. Anyway, getting off track. I want to ask you, because we're talking about selfishness or selflessness, as a therapist, do you find you have to give a lot to your clients and how do you put in boundaries to make sure you're not giving too much of yourself (laughs) to others? So funny. Um, It's very difficult. (laughs) There's no boundaries. (laughs) No, 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 no. I mean, I'm seeing it. I see a therapist as well. So I have a therapist that I see every week. Um, And I try different modalities of my own therapy so that I can be the best version of myself. But it is really, really hard. Mm -hmm. I have very strong boundaries with people that I don't know um, because often I'll have people run up and be like, oh, my God, I've got to ask you all these questions. And I'm like, then you should book a session in my clinic. You know, I think that would be really appropriate. Um, It would be like, are you guys talking about skincare yeah. or like mm. coffee, yeah. you know, beans? <laughs> and you're just like, all the time. Ah, yeah. I don't want to talk about it. Mm. <laughs> um, I think at the end of the day, like it, it is my job. On the, and a really interesting thing is my friends actually don't ever ask me about sex. Yeah, They're just there. They're my friends. They want to have fun. Yeah. Um, when I catch up with people that are more like, they're friends, but they're not like in my close circle. My circle's like really tight. Mm-hmm. And obviously we have a lot of things to talk about that that isn't about mm-hmm. my work, um, then it 
flows naturally, but I am actually quite an introverted person. So um, I tend to hang out with people that talk a lot more than I do and I just sit there and listen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they flow with me. My people are like really, they know my energy and they honor it. They know I'm extremely quirky. So they just let me go, do my thing. Um, With people that are friends, but like not good friends, they'll be like, tell me everything like what's going on for you what's happening at work oh I don't um actually have like news apps on my phone so I don't know when for example an article comes out about me or or one that I've participated in comes out I don't see where my face is ever and I think for a lot of people that I know they're like oh you've been everywhere recently and I'm like oh really like I have no idea and they're like oh you were talking about this here I was like oh my gosh because I write so many articles Mm -hmm. every week Mm -hmm. I don't know where they go and and how they present. Um, So it is really interesting. I usually say I don't want to talk about work with people. I don't want to talk about me. I don't want to talk about work. Why don't you tell me about you? What's keeping you busy right now? What are you excited about right now? You know, I really, for a while, I went into this place where I was really shut down and I just didn't want to talk to anyone. Um, and then I thought, actually, I need to relearn the art of conversation so that I can twist things in a d- different direction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was like, I said, I remember calling my friends and being like, I don't know how to have a conversation with anyone anymore because all of it is so... I have to give so much energy to people and I'm not getting enough back right now and I just feel like the exchange is off because I'm always riding the end, uh, edge of burnout as mm-hmm. well. So um, it is a work in progress. I would say I definitely don't have all the answers for that. I can dish out advice. Can I take it? It's a little bit of a different <laughs> – like <laughs> you can't always like get get your needs met in that yep. area. But my, my therapist is really good with that um, and – uh, at challenging me and like unpacking like you know what what do I need to do to make my life a little bit more enjoyable from an energetic perspective as well what led you to delete all the news apps on your phone I think that I knew what I wanted to pursue in terms of um, news and so when there are Like you can go on social media and you have an idea of what's going on. I only follow the Daily Oz. The Daily Oz is how I find out what's Mm -hmm. going on. I'm good friends with um, that team over there. And I found actually when their Instagram started, I knew what was happening in the world that was going to be of interest to me. Whereas I would go on my phone and they would have like the news app at the top. And every day I was just targeted with mom of three gets killed Mm -hmm. you know domestic violence here da 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 and I already deal with people like that in my work every day that I was just sad and drained so I decided to delete all the apps and um and also like I was getting targeted with like a lot of like shit yeah like a lot of Mm. gossip kind of stuff stuff that I'm not interested in at all And so, yeah, from my perspective, I thought, okay, I'm going to be able to focus on the really important things right now um, because I follow this Instagram that's going to tell me the important things Mm -hmm. I want to know. My partner is very involved with the news and really understands what's going on in the world. So um, he will be able to tell me as well and fill me in on the background to these things. But I like researching things. If something like sparks my interest or I go, okay, this is happening right now, I will deep dive on that. Yep. I like it as a concept, and Brie knows this about me, like I deleted social for a really similar reason. Mm-hmm. I think it should be sparking a big conversation about mm-hmm. self-pleasure and how the things we do every day or the world we curate for ourselves 
either does or doesn't create enjoyable moments for us, whereas we just mm. go to the extreme. And self-pleasure means masturbation, it means sexual activity, but for me it's how my world mm. exists from the moment I wake up. Yeah. Are there other things that either if you do, Brie or Chantel, you're on the interviewee panel now too, <laughs> like that are part of your daily routine to make you feel better? Yeah, I do. I listen in the morning. First thing I do when I wake up, like it sounds, okay, maybe I do have a few routines, but when I wake up in the morning, I will listen to more of a nonfiction book around like literally glowing up from the inside, mm-hmm. my brain, etc. cetera, um, different ways on how to be like a good boss or like podcasts. And that's the first start of my day. Um, and then at the end of the day, I will listen to fiction so I can go to sleep with like a nice fantasy in my mind as well. I like that. Yeah. Mine is all about the things. Like I love little things like a silk pillowcase mm-hmm. and really quality bedding. I like expensive tea. I like expensive hand wash. Yeah. Like the small things that I like to elevate, that's yeah, little pleasures for me. Like yeah. a thing you're going to do every single day, so make it really good. Yeah, that's what mm. I'm about. You mm. like the sensory experience. I am. I'm such a thing. Like I love cashmere. I love yeah. silk. Yeah. I'm sure I like it in the bedroom as well. Yeah. <laughs> it's like touch. It's like yeah. a thing for me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You mentioned before that you have ADHD. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about how you got diagnosed or how you found out you had ADHD? Yeah, sure. Um, I think that's part of like this this kind of energy exchange that I'm talking about when you have ADHD your brain works so differently like mine is not so much hyperactive though at night time it starts ping-ponging a little bit more than I would (laughs) like it to which is why I don't sleep that often I feel like where is that energy from like I wish I had that at 3 p.m. Right, where were you at 2 p.m.? It's not happening now, it's 2.30 but if I look at my family I think all of them have ADHD except my mum Um, But we are all pretty high energy. There's six of us. And um, if I look at my dad's extended family as well, it's definitely there. Um, But it was always kind of like, like my dad would be like, oh, yeah, I think I have ADHD. Like it was just kind of more of like a joke. It wasn't taken seriously. And it didn't need to be back then. Like the conversations weren't really there. But I was always like really introverted as a child and always super distracted um, at school, like I was naturally really smart, but I didn't concentrate at all. I was like the troublemaker. I had the record for the most days off in primary school and high school ever of a student. And um, I just was always like loving learning from a practical experience. But I think that uh, I don't know if people know much about like female ADHD. It presents very differently mm-hmm. to male ADHD. And um my school just thought I was not very intelligent. They told me I should leave school because I was never going to be able to wow. finish it. Wow. And which is so funny because I definitely know that I'm doing pretty well since I left school. Um, but I stayed till year 12 and, you know, I, I did my bachelor and I did my master's. Um, but the reason why I'm a good sexologist is because I knew I have to learn from a practical experience. Mm. This is way before my diagnosis. That was only two and a bit years ago. Um And I went and found an internship and I worked for free for two years with a sexologist overseas Um, and we achieved a lot together. She really taught me everything I knew and I'm so grateful for that experience because now as a practitioner, the amount of people that need placement, I go, oh my God, like I give so much of myself to students, but it's fucking hard, you know, like having Mm -hmm. placement with people. So 
I appreciate what she gave me. It was mm-hmm. incredible. Um, and sometimes I feel guilty that I haven't given enough back, but that's another story. Yeah. I'll unpack that with Francine. <laughs> you on give Thursday, back, like, 9 a.m. See, <laughs> see that, Francine. Not to her. Yeah, but I need to give a bit more to her. But yeah, I think that, like, beyond that, I came back and, like, everything has just been so full steam ahead for me. Like, mm. I came back from overseas, I started my business, you know. Um, I've always had different like ways of thinking about things. Everything has been around how I feel. My emotions have always been up and down. I've had depressive periods since forever. Um, and fatigue has been a major problem for me over my whole lifespan. And then when it got to COVID, um, I was writing my book. And I just, it was so hard. I would get up at 4 a.m. every day because I knew that during the nighttime when everyone was asleep, I could actually do my Mm -hmm. stuff. But I also, like, I run a business and then I do consulting. So I had all this stuff that I needed to achieve. And then this book deadline. I had the book contract for a year. And then it got to eight weeks out. And I was like, I better write this book. (laughs) So I wrote the book in six weeks. And I just powered through. Like, I just locked myself in my house. And um, I think essentially with that, I lost my mind. (laughs) I had a mental (laughs) breakdown. Um, No, I mean, I I did it. But then, yeah, it was really taxing on me. Mm. And I just couldn't understand, like, why I could never look at this book again. Like, I couldn't read Mm. it properly anymore. My brain was just traumatized. And my partner was away playing tennis during COVID. He was overseas for months and months. And um, I think with that, you don't realize how unwell you are when you're having burnout. And you don't realize, like, I guess how depressed you are because yep. you're just like, like, oh, everyone. Just like, like, you mask so well as well as a female, as someone with ADHD. You're used to masking, like, when you have inconsistencies. But then... Um, a lot of my, I also like, uh, I think when I'm stressed, I just lose a lot of weight. It's mm-hmm. just how I have done things. I had an eating disorder when I was younger. And when you go to cope with something, you just end up in this space where you're controlling as much as you can. And usually that's just food. And I just lost all of this weight. And my partner came back and I remember him. He was like, we also moved house during this time. So I did that by myself. And I remember him coming in and so I was like, hello, (laughs) so skinny. (laughs) And then like every door in the house was open. The remote control was in the washing machine. There was like 12 pack of eggs in the freezer. Like I couldn't find my car keys for a month. Like it was just pure chaos. And I remember him being like, you need to go to the doctor. Like, you're not going very well. Mm. And I was like, I'm fine. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, no, I'm I'm not well. Okay, fine, I'll go see a psychiatrist. So with that, I, I actually, like, it's so funny because I would help get diagnoses from my patients. And I went to the psychiatrist and I didn't say anything. I had an idea that I had ADHD, but I also knew I was depressed at that period. And she said, let's first figure out the depression, but I think you have a lot of ADHD mm. tendencies Usually when you're depressed, you have ADHD symptoms, though. So you have to rule that out first. So therapy, medication, Mm -hmm. tiny bit of time off, not really. But like just having an awareness and then being honest with the people around me first. And then once um, I was able to get some relief there, then we worked on the ADHD. But it's an ongoing process. Like I don't have the answers. You know, I feel 
very lucky to be able to I mean, I've worked really, really hard to be able to afford to get some help, of course, um, but that's not everyone's reality. And then, yeah, I think it's hard for the people around me. It's definitely was hard for G, my manager and I for periods because she had to manage my contracts and like me not meeting deadlines. Then Katie as well. I have to try different medication. makes you feel a certain way sometimes. Mm. So it's ongoing. Yeah. Why do you think, obviously you're a therapist and you said you you had thoughts Mm -hmm. that you maybe had ADHD. Why do you think it took you to getting to burnout and your partner telling you to go get help to then take that step? Well, I have seen therapists for years. So I think that um, I was already seeing therapists that if they weren't picking it up, that was really confusing Mm -hmm. to me because you don't really – you go to a therapist because you don't have – a full grasp yep. on what you're experiencing, right? Mm. So I had already suggested it at previous times before, or I'd said, I think I might have bipolar, um, you know, or I thought maybe it's my PMDD, like hormones. So I had suggested many things, but to get someone, I mean, the research just wasn't really there for female ADHD yeah, it's in the still past. really undiagnosed, isn't it? It's <laughs> getting there. I think we have had such a huge surge of mm-hmm. people go, oh, and you actually, like, yeah. A lot of our creative friends, like a lot of our people that we know that run businesses, Mm -hmm. usually like very successful people, Mm -hmm. a lot of them have ADHD. So it's really, really interesting. It just that information wasn't there just yet. And then I remember I got it and probably a year later was when the surge happened. And I think that's because of how many people in COVID Mm. felt so bad that they needed help and then they all started kind of you know going to psychiatrists this pattern came out more research came mm-hmm. out and it became more well known it's still getting there though yeah i i see articles about it being one of the most misdiagnosed segments in the community women over yeah. 30 mm. and how finally yeah. they are being validated for everything that they've felt their entire lives and getting a diagnosis and getting help. Well, it's so interesting. Um, one of my friends is going through the, like a lot of my friends have ADHD actually. When I look at them, you tend to gravitate towards people mm-hmm. who are not neurotypical when you are neurodiverse. And one of my friends is going through it and she's seeing a few different specialists at the moment. And she said, I think I might have ADHD. And her psychiatrist was like, oh, everyone thinks that they have ADHD, you know, like, so don't worry about it. But she definitely has it. So it's a really interesting one because yeah. you also see that people are not taking maybe this surge or this research so seriously. And I get that people don't want to, like, confront that maybe they failed the community in a certain way or maybe they think it's trendy or mm-hmm. something like that. But this is people's lives, yeah. you know. It's really interesting. I can completely see how that dynamic would happen where because it's publicised more, people can identify with it more, so they Mm -hmm. go to their doctor and they somewhat self-diagnose, but it's because they're just Mm. going off their lived experience Mm. and then they have that experience where they're dismissed by Mm. a medical professional and this cycle just never fucking ends (laughs) for women. And a lot of people also want the medication that comes with ADHD. Yes, I can imagine that Like the registry, it's so hard to get that medication um, and it's you have to call up a registry and, and request it and say how many milligrams. Everything is identifiable, so you cannot, like, share your medication mm-hmm. with people because that is traceable to you. And I think that's really important, but I know that, like, bottles of ADHD meds are going on the black market for, like, $800 a bottle right Jeez, now. It's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, I know we because I have a lot of people asking me for mine. (laughs) (laughs) But they're not getting it. (laughs) I need it. (laughs) So I could chat to you all day, but I know we can't keep you for too much longer. So just a final question to ask you, which is what does it mean to you to be selfish? Oh my God. How do I interpret that? That's such a hard question. I think like my like perception of this is quite warped, to be honest, because I think I'm like quite a giving person. But then I I wish some people in my life were more selfish. Like I wish that they took time for themselves because they just run themselves into the ground. I want them to be selfish and take care of themselves. So I actually think in a way, not taking care of yourself is selfish mm-hmm. and not prioritizing yourself is a little bit selfish. Like. I look at myself and I go, yeah, I'm running this rat race. I'm sometimes I'm working way too hard. Actually, I'm doing a disservice to myself, the people I love, the people I take care of by not looking after myself. So I think it's selfish to not be selfish. I love that answer because mm-hmm. you can't then show up for people in the best mm. way possible. Mm. I think it does say a lot about your giving nature, that the fact that you didn't even think of selfishness being mm-hmm selfish yeah. and you're like mm-hmm. for other people how do I help them <laughs> oh, oh sweetheart so <laughs> it's lovely yeah, but I really you. like that concept and that's mm-hmm. a lot of what this content series is about like redefining selfishness and learning how to be selfish mm-hmm. in the right ways and in productive ways not just for yourself but for mm-hmm. the people around you yeah so thanks for that answer my pleasure <laughs> um thank you so much for today Chantel it was really lovely chatting with you we're gonna seems like we're gonna have a lot of fun links in the show notes oh my gosh thanks for having me <laughs> This episode of Selfish was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always would be Wurundjeri land.